You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church Midtown. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come centered on Jesus Christ. Well, peace be with you. Welcome to our live stream service today. I pray that your heart is doing well, and we pray that the Word of God uh, will enrich your soul this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into uh, our third week in Philippians. Remember, the first week we looked at the fellowship of the gospel. The second week we looked at the furtherance of the gospel. And this week we are going to look at the faith of the gospel. And our main point is going to be that gospel faith produces gospel faith. In other words, that faith without works is dead. That when we truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, it moves us to live worthy of the gospel. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for those who are listening. I thank you for Sojourn Midtown, for every single member. I thank you for everyone who is watching under the sound of my voice. I pray that you would speak now. Speak now, Jesus, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we as human beings um, and most of us and many of us that are are watching uh, this morning, Sunday morning, Um, We value earthly citizenship. Um, We value our our national citizenship. Some people have traveled from far away to become citizens of America, have done some really hard things in order to, to gain that because citizenship matters. And in the first century in Philippi, citizenship mattered especially to the people of Philippi. They were a part of a, a small a, a colony that was known as Little Rome that was absolutely beautiful, that was a, a retirement spot for Roman soldiers, um, that many people wanted to live because of the tax breaks and, and because of the culture. And Paul knows that these Christians who are living in Philippi, they treasure their earthly citizenship. But the one thing he wants them to know more than anything else is found in verse 27. Just one thing above all. This is what Paul wants them to know. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wants the church at Philippi to cherish their heavenly citizenship. And I believe that this is the main point of his entire book among all things, know this one thing, that as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. Our earthly citizenship and our heavenly citizenship, they sometimes collide because our earthly citizenship values and where we live and our culture um, isn't perfect and don't align with God's heavenly citizenship. And the citizenship that we have received through repentance and putting our faith and trust in Jesus. And so the question is, what do we do and how do we live when those things uh, contradict? 
In 2001, a pastor in California, right after um, the 9-11 terrorist attacks, got up in his pulpit and proclaimed uh, to his church that he uh, felt that the way that the United States should respond is by bombing um, their enemies, uh, bombing them away, essentially. And then asked right after the sermon if he would retract or recant because of his hard uh, verbiage on uh, on the attacks. He said he cannot because he is an American before he's a, a Christian. And the thing is, Paul wants the church of Philippi to know that you are a, a Christian. You are a citizen of heaven before you are a citizen of Rome. In fact, Jesus taught the same thing, that our earthly affiliations should not compare to our heavenly allegiance. And when we have gospel faith, that should be evident to all. Jesus taught and he said, if one uh, loves him, if one is going to follow after him, He must hate his mother, his brother, and his sister. Now, we know that Jesus is using hyperbole there, but his point is is that when one is redeemed by him, when one comes to know his grace, when one is saved from their sin, when one sees the light of salvation, all earthly allegiances, they, they pale in comparison to the heavenly allegiance. And my question for you today, is Jesus Christ your king? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? If Jesus Christ is your king and your Lord, then your heavenly citizenship must outweigh any earthly citizenship and any earthly allegiance. This Friday, my wife and I got to attend a change of command ceremony Um, with one of our very own members, Emily Culver. Uh, We got to attend this along with some of um, the members of her community group and other church members who are close to her and her husband, Paul. Emily has served this nation for 15 years. And three years she served in the United States Marines here over recruiting. And she's a major, highly respected um, at what she does. And what I love about Emily and Paul is that Jesus flows out of them. Even though they were here on a very specific assignment, they made sure that they found a local church and that they got plugged into the local church. She talked about how she protected uh, Monday evenings for her community group and how it was her community group and life with them that, that gave her the strength to do her job well. And I just was taken back at the ceremony by how freely she talked about Jesus, how freely she talked about her church and how she lives with both civility and courage. She loves her nation. She loves her country, but she loves her Jesus. I met another member whose name was Phoebe and Phoebe enlisted into the Marines as well. And I got to hear Phoebe's uh, testimony as she came into the Marines a little older than most people came into. But she said, King Jesus, her Lord, put it upon her heart to enlist in there as a ministry to other women. And I believe that this is the type of attitude that the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, this one thing as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ worthy of the gospel, in step with the gospel of Christ. Now, when Paul talks about living in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
He's not simply talking about us mentally ascending to the content of the gospel. And the content of the gospel is beautiful. It's important. We have to know the content of the gospel. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about this message of the gospel is of first importance. In verses three through four, he says, for I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scripture. This is the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was was a man and yet he was fully God and that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. And that Jesus Christ died a death that we all deserve on Calvary's cross. He substituted himself for us. And that Jesus Christ defeated sin and death so that those who place their faith and trust in him might be justified, declared righteous. We receive his righteousness. He takes upon himself our sinful record and he buries it. And he was raised on the third day with all power in his hand. That is the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the content of the gospel. The gospel is a message of the cross. It's a message of grace that we cannot earn our way to God, but we receive salvation from him as we look to his son by faith. It's the gospel of the kingdom that we are now under the rule of God and that God's kingdom is here now and will be here fully in the second return of Jesus. But the gospel is also not just those propositions. The gospel is a story. See, it's a narrative. This is what we see in Philippians chapter 2, when the Apostle Paul, verses 6 through 11, talks about Jesus and what we call this Christ hymn, which will be preached about next week. Notice that it's in a narrative form. It's it's written as as a poem. See, Jesus was truly human and he was truly alive. And this gospel narrative tells us that Jesus lived a life of humility and sacrifice and service, that he, though he was fully God, did not come to be served, but to serve. And he found his place among those who needed saving. He found his place not among those who was well, but those who were sick. He went to marginalized communities and broken villages. He healed lepers. He gave sight to the blind. He opened deaf ears. This is also the gospel. This is the ethics of the gospel, not simply the context. So when Paul says live life worthy of the gospel of Christ, yes, worthy of the fact that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and rose again, but also worthy of the way that he lived, that he went towards those who are outcasts and, and broken sexually and abused and misused and tired. So why am I saying this? I'm saying this 
Because as Christians, as those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, our faith has to have feet. And our faith has to be holistic. And for many of us, our faith is not holistic. It does not have feet because we find our earthly citizenship more important than our heavenly citizenship. And we find our identity in a particular political party rather than in Jesus. And when you find your identity in a particular political party and you wrap yourself in a particular political party, you're going to take on the values of that party. And the problem with that is neither political party, whether here in America or anywhere else on earth, can fully embody and represent the truth, the beauty and the goodness of God's kingdom. And so we don't bleed red or blue But as my friend says, we bleed purple. Why? Because we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We bleed purple. Why? Because we've been adopted into the family of God. And Jesus is our Lord and our King. And one day we will reign and rule with him. We bleed purple. Why? Because we don't follow behind a donkey or a elephant, but we follow behind the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. We don't fit in. We're aliens. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. This is not our home. For some of us, we are too ingrained in our political parties to walk worthy of the gospel. And how do you know if you're too, you're too ingrained in your political party? Well, there's a, a couple telltales. One is when you're too ingrained in your political party, you find yourself arguing and belittling other people online. You find yourself getting uh, on Facebook or Twitter and, and letting those thumbs go. Because for you in that moment to live is not Christ. For you in that moment to live is to defend your your president, your congressman, your favorite president, your favorite political person or stance. How do you know if you're in too deep? Because you stop fellowshipping with people who don't think like you. There's no way you say that a Christian can vote for this person. There's no way that a Christian can vote for this party. You begin to see everything in terms of two categories as liberal or conservative. And so people who don't vote like you and talk like you and walk like you and have the same exact political philosophy of you, they're other. And you begin to live a life of inconsistency where you can't critique your own party your own uh, 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 belief system because you believe and start to believe that it is perfect. Paul does not tell us to live a life worthy of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the Libertarian Party. Paul tells us to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says here. Then, whether I come and see you 
or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Paul here is encouraging the church to stand as one and unified, not bickering and battling one another, not arguing with one another. And this is one of the things that we see in this letter as we're going to read later on in in Philippians chapter four, that there are two women who are prominent in the church and they're at odds with one another. And Paul says, just tell them to agree in the Lord. And perhaps that's, that's Paul's word for us as a church in 2020, an election year. Don't bicker with one another. Stand firm in one spirit. And what one spirit is that? That one spirit isn't the spirit of of Biden. Come on now. That one spirit isn't the spirit of Trump. That one spirit isn't the spirit of the person you hope to be elected as our next senator. That one spirit is the Holy Spirit, who Ephesians 2 said is, is building us up to be the church. We're to walk according to stand firm in that one spirit on one accord, contending together the faith of the gospel. It's the gospel that changes hearts. It's the gospel that changes lives. It's the gospel that changes communities. It's the gospel that can change messed up structural systems. It was the gospel that Martin Luther King Jr. built his political platform on that that led him to have feet that walked the streets of Birmingham that led him to come out with a covenant for people who would march with him to which they would have to agree to nonviolent, peaceful protests. And the first part of that covenant that people would have to sign is that they would have to promise to meditate on the teachings of Jesus daily. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we stand firm in. And what the world needs now is a church that is unified, not a church that is uniform, not a church that that believes all the same things on on, on the political spectrum, not not a church that, that dresses the same and lives in the same of neighborhoods and wears the same type of shoes. You can wear Chacos. I can wear Jordans. It's cool. God is not looking for uniformity. God is looking for a church that is unified. And what do we unify around? We unify around the cross of Christ. Oh, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. And now I am happy all day. It's on Golgotha's hill where Jesus Christ died for you and for me, making us alive with him that we place our faith, not in broken people, in broken parties, in broken systems. Are you walking worthy of the gospel of Jesus? Are you saying for me to live is Christ or for me to live is to be politically correct or to be in this political group? Is your citizenship allegiance in heaven or is your citizen allegiance on this earth? Verse 28, not being frightened 
in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. Again, Paul is in Rome being persecuted and he knows that it's just a matter of time before these Christians who are in Philippi are persecuted. Why he was in Philippi, he was persecuted by both um, his uh, Jewish kinsmen and the Roman government. And he didn't have a home. And so what did he have to do? He had to appeal to his Roman citizenship in Acts chapter 16 in order to get out of jail. So Paul is not saying that your earthly citizenship is not important and should not be used. But what he's saying is your heavenly citizenship is, is more important. And know that you will suffer as a result for not fitting in neatly to different groups. You shouldn't be comfortable in your earthly groups. There should be things that rub you the wrong way. There should be things that cause you to speak up. And you should be able to speak up nuance in a nuanced way, not throwing uh, the baby out with the bathwater, but you should be able to be a, a thinking person who looks at the scripture and says, this is what the scripture says. So for this, I can agree with this, but you know what? My party gets it wrong on this. So I need to stand up for this. And to the conservatives, you may seem liberal. And to the liberals, you may seem conservative. But you don't. You don't mind it because this is not your home. Paul lets them know that as a result of this mindset that they can expect suffering. They can expect suffering, but they don't have to suffer alone. Just like he's suffering, but he's not suffering alone. They came to his aid. Timothy came to his aid. As the body of Christ, we may be aliens, we may be pilgrims, we may be sojourners, we may be outsiders, we may be misunderstood, but we are not alone. Not only is Jesus with us, but we, we have each other. And we get to experience each other week in and week out in community groups. We get to experience each other as we break bread together over meals. We get to encourage one another in the faith, contending for the gospel of Jesus Christ together, both the content and the conduct, both the proclamation and the demonstration. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, it's been granted to you. This is pointing to the fact that salvation is a gift. We, we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. There's nothing I could do to gain my salvation. I was saved because the God of this universe, in spite of me, placed his affection on me, wooed me through his spirit, drew me to his son. Paul says, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not on our behalf. We've been saved for Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Paul knew something about suffering. From Acts chapter 16 to Acts chapter, the end of uh, Acts chapter 29, we see Acts, uh, Paul suffering. We see him hurting. We see him being imprisoned and beaten. We see him being shipwrecked. We see him being held captive for years at a time because the governors wanted some extra money, but he wouldn't give it. To, to be in Christ and to live for Christ is to suffer like Christ. To suffer like Christ. 
And to suffer like Christ means that, that we have to live with courage like Christ. We have to live like, with courage like Paul to be able to speak the truth in love, knowing that it could get us ostracized. But blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake, Jesus said. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revalue you. Blessed are you when they walk over you and they talk about you. Blessed are you when you don't fit in to an agenda that seeks to tear down what God says is, is, is right and holy and beautiful. Blessed are you when you stand up and say, I'm pro-abundant life. I'm pro-life in the womb and I'm, I'm pro-life outside of the room. I'm pro-black dignity and I am, am pro-women. I'm, I'm, I'm pro uh, that mother having a chance at a good education. I'm pro that brother not being over-sentenced for a non-violent crime. I'm pro our communities being strengthened. When you live that type of way, when you don't fit in these lines and you don't fit neatly into agendas, you will suffer. You will suffer when you hold on to a gospel that sounds absolutely crazy to the world. That is centered on a man who had all the advantages of the universe, but who chose to become disadvantaged for our sake. You will suffer. And people will think you crazy when you tell them that God became man and dwelt among us. You will suffer when you stand up for a biblical sexual ethic. You will suffer when you stand up for the teachings of Jesus on greed. You will stand up when you stand up and tell people that every single human being has equal dignity and equal worth. You will stand up when you walk the streets and, and protest, letting the world know that you stand for truth. You will suffer just as Jesus suffered as he went up Golgotha's hill and took three nails and a crown of thorns and was put in Joseph's tomb, but you will also experience the same very power that Jesus experienced, the same power that raised him from the dead, will raise you from the dead over and over, metaphorically speaking. The same power of the Holy Spirit will well up on the inside of you and, and cause you to cry out, Abba, Father, as you suffer. And God will allow you to suffer in community with other believers in Jesus Christ, whose ultimate allegiance isn't to a donkey or an elephant, but to a lion lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Gospel faith has gospel feet. It moves us past the theoretical to good works. It moves us towards the poor, broken, oppressed and marginalized. It moves us towards those who are caught in sin's captivity. And we come preaching and proclaiming a message that salvation has been made available through Jesus Christ. And every Sunday we celebrate this gospel message by taking bread and by drinking wine or juice. 
For it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he broke bread, said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup, said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christian, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And today, if you're watching and you realize that your allegiance is more in this earthly kingdom as opposed to your citizenship, which is in heaven, I want to invite you to repent and to know that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Repent and turn to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want to be allegiant to you above and beyond anything else. If you're here today, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to turn to Jesus, knowing that he is the bread of life, that in him there is the forgiveness of sin, that in him there is a joy that goes past your circumstances, that he gave up his last breath on the cross so that you could breathe your first breath in him. But you can start over today. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.